Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening Rod, all is well on this beautiful sunny day back in the shed. Yeah, it's not too bad here either, a little bit high cloud. I feel like the weather forecast or the weather report is probably one of the main reasons people tune in with us for, but no rain today, which has been very nice, unlike yesterday where it said it was going to be lovely and then it rained. Yeah, today was a very mixed bag for us, but now we have blue skies and lovely clouds, so I can't complain. Very nice. So here we are, episode 80 for the 7th of August, 2023. And should we get into it? Let's do it. I've got some follow-up and you've got some follow-up. I've done my follow-up and I'll, I'll wait with bated breath to see if you've done yours. I had a go. Fair enough. So my follow-up was I was going to go back and talk about the original Microsoft antitrust trial, which I vaguely remember in my head as being many, many years ago. It took me a while to find, actually. If you search for Microsoft and antitrust in Google, as was apparent in the podcast last week, there's quite a lot of things, actually, that Microsoft have been involved with. So this original one, which is United States versus Microsoft Corporation, I finally found on Wikipedia. And it dates from 2001, so a fair few years ago at this point, 22 years ago at this point. And it was specifically related to the bundling of Internet Explorer with Microsoft Windows and a little bit around Office and things like that. And it was a huge deal. And for a long time, there was discussion about Microsoft was actually going to get broken up into its component parts of a operating system and then an office suite and they may become different things but actually in the end microsoft basically got a bit of a fine and a slap on the wrist and told to offer the browser choice which we all vaguely remember from you know not that long ago i think i want to say windows xp offered the browser choice i seem to remember it being offered certainly one of the security patches i think yeah i think that's uh, one thing i was just going to correct you on on the date was a lot of the action happened in 2001 but it actually began back in 98 which is probably more the day I was thinking, I I was going to say late 90s. Yeah, but it stemmed from sort of the power they had being the dominant platform in MS-DOS right the way through and then the bundling of Internet Explorer and the decimation of Netscape Navigator as was really at that point because it came on the desktop. Yeah, they pretty much owned the internet because obviously back then you could only really browse on your desktop and circa 90% of people were browsing using Internet Explorer because Microsoft bundled it with every OS and it dominated. IE6 was the most dominant one, if I remember correctly. And then Internet Explorer very much ran off the rails henceforth. But to bring this back to Apple briefly, Microsoft actually funded Apple so that it looked like they had a serious competitor, even if it was only on very small scale. So they wouldn't be seen as the, the dominant platform. And if you go back and watch one of the films like Fire in the Valley or one of those things, you know, Bill Gates appearing on the on the stage behind Steve Jobs was really sort of Big Brother watching you, and that was a clever play on the part, part of Microsoft to show that they weren't the only computer company in town. Yeah, not only did he appear, Bill Gates appear behind Steve Jobs, but he was also on a massive screen and looking down on Steve Jobs. It it didn't play very well in hindsight, I think. No, it didn't. And as a consequence of that, Apple got an injection of cash and we know where they ended up from that point, actually bigger than Microsoft. But there was some critical things that came along with it, such as Internet Explorer came to the Mac with System 7.5, maybe System 8, I forget which. And then Microsoft Office stayed on the Mac, which I've said this before and I'll say it again, the original version of Word and Excel were Mac products. No, they were, but equally the, the versions I remember on OS X they were some nice versions. They were very Mac-like apps. They weren't, you know, like the Windows brothers and sister apps. They were really Mac or I was say Mac OS OS ten apps with nice OS ten icons that really lent into the Aqua design. They were first-class party apps. I thought. Yeah, and you had Microsoft Communicator instead of Outlook. I think I seem to recall. I think you mean Entourage. Entourage Communicator was a thing that brought it all together, wasn't it? Entourage was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and but it really was a first-class Mac experience, and it wasn't, I don't know how much code was shared, if any, but it was a separate thing, and Microsoft had a Mac business unit, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, interesting days back in the early 2000s for the Mac. Whereas now, in the long term, they've pushed all this stuff to the web. So that was the original antisource case, and like I said, there's been lots of noise in the background, but in the process of searching for this, I did find a really interesting story from Wired in 2021, talking about how... Although Microsoft has got this now sort of friendly, happy, we support open source software, anything goes in our platform approach, actually behind the scenes, they're still sort of throwing their weight around as much as they ever did and sort of really leaning quite hard on other small businesses that come along and try and do things like resell keys for Windows operating systems and things like that and acting in really quite an anti-competitive way and flattening all that kind of stuff. 
And you can kind of see this has been bubbling under with the recent rise in A, the Activision Blizzard deal that keeps getting knocked back around the world and you know has gone through mostly, although there is an antitrust suite in Britain against that now. And the following, the EU are obviously looking at them in regards to cloud computing. And now we've got the Teams antitrust thing ongoing as well. So I feel like they dodged this bullet back in 2001, and as you've said, dates prior to that. But Microsoft may still have been evil the whole time, despite what all of us thought. Yeah, I think the problem is, is when you start looking to any big company, there's always some practices that you're not keen on. I'm sure we've, we've commented on Apple before. There's Microsoft, obviously. I can't imagine Facebook, Amazon, Google all play by the book. But it's it's never nice when you see it because it would be nice for some of these companies to have some morals, I think. Yeah, they don't seem to have. And of course, you're a large business with shareholders the idea is you've always got to become dominant in that platform, which is capitalism writ large, really, isn't it? When, when, you, when you see what's going on. But you can understand it back in the days, Google's attempt to sort of shift Microsoft. Certainly Apple's ongoing fights with Microsoft over the years, although they've got a bit of a more of an understanding these days, I'd suggest. Although, you know, Android is more of a first party client than, than, than Apple operating systems are with Windows, despite the recent efforts to make texting available on it. So, yeah, it's an interesting state of affairs where Microsoft maybe just never changed. They just give the appearance of being friendlier. But, you know, how many times have we on this show said they've got a problem with security or they're bundling this or we're a bit worried about that? They're positioned in gaming, they're pushed to the cloud, they're removing at PCs. They are not that different, it would seem, under the surface than ever they were. Yeah, that's true, I think. And they've certainly just got, got bigger. And like you, I was going to say, actually, I think Microsoft and Apple have probably... They're very different companies than what they both were 25 years ago to 20 years ago. They've kind of found their own paths and lent into it. Microsoft obviously have taken the corporate space. And I think to a large degree, Apple have taken the home user space other than gaming, I guess. Yeah, I think that's fair. At the same time, you could see the push to subscriptions across all of these things. Azure is effectively a subscription. Office is effectively a subscription. Your enterprise licenses for Windows and SQL servers and things like that are a subscription. Even though you buy them, you then pay a client access license or similar for all those products. So, you know, it's you can see Apple, and we're going to talk about their stock, their, their earnings later on in the show. That's where the money is. You've got guaranteed income week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And as we've talked about in this show before, it just gets stickier and stickier and harder for you to get out because your whole business and ways of operation are embedded in those models. Be they Apple and subscribing to iCloud and the various iTunes and the various features in that, or your Windows Azure licenses for your Active Directory for your for your business and your and your email client. So, I mean, it's a good it's a good racket, isn't it, for all these companies? And it's it, it might leave us feeling slightly distasteful at having to fork out X pounds per month, both personally and for our businesses. But it's an interesting position to be in. Yeah, agreed. And obviously, it's what the stock market are looking for. They're looking for that reoccurring revenue. And if the stock market are looking for it, therefore, the business have to look for it. They do. Anything else to say about this? I think I've done my follow-up. No, I think you have. It was interesting to see it. it took them, obviously, three years to do it. And then when we basically ended up with, I think there was an update for Windows XP that came with a, a pop-up, in essence, when you had a new install. And it just asked you, which browser would you like to use? Was it, I guess, Chrome and Firefox were probably the main ones, maybe Opera? <laughs> I think it was pre-Chrome, wasn't it? It would have been Firefox and Opera and Internet Explorer, I guess. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I'm trying to remember back that far, but yeah, it took a long time. It was a slap on the wrist and not really much came of it. And big companies have carried on to bundle stuff. They really have, yeah. Feedback for you. Apple TV and continuity camera. Still doesn't work. I think it could be really cool, but I don't know why. It seems incredibly buggy. So you launch FaceTime, it goes, who who are you? I was trying to my, my television just here. And I go, I'm Chris. And he goes, make sure you signed in with the same iCloud account. And I am. Make sure you got iOS 17. I have. And it just doesn't seem to work for me. So I haven't got anywhere with this feature, but I think it would be very cool. It's just not quite there yet. I actually want to talk about HomeKit briefly. I don't know if this is a beta feature or just a frustration I've been facing. I said, I think on the show a couple of weeks ago, that all my lights had stopped working and all my things within Apple Home. If I go into the apps themselves, they all work. I can open my garage door from inside of the app. I can turn on lights inside of the Hue app. That doesn't help anybody else in the house, particularly because I'm the only one with those apps. So they're going back and like cavemen turning lights on and off themselves at the wall. I mean, good grief. What is the, What have we come to in this world? But 
I went to try and investigate how do I troubleshoot what this problem is? Is it a home hub problem? Is it whatever has decided to become the hub? Now, thinking about all the devices that could be hubs, I've got a Mac Mini that wasn't all the time. I've got three Apple TVs and two HomePod Minis. Which one's the primary hub? How do you find out? I don't think you can find out if I remember correctly. I went through something similar, I must say, where I just couldn't turn on or off some of my Eve wall plugs. But my wife could, and she was not running the beta. But they have done a lot in the more recent betas. It now all works. And I think it actually works better than it did before. I disagree. I am on the beta on my phone. I did eventually find if you go through various settings menu, you can find all the home hubs it thinks it has and which one is currently the primary. And then the rest sit there on standby in a list in the settings. So it was one of my home pods and I unpaired them and that seemed to be enough to get it to while it was unpairing flick onto the other one and everything started working for about 20 minutes and then it went away again so there's something going on with the home pods that's affecting the rest of the apple home and this has been commented on another podcast when things go wrong with icloud even me as a reasonably savvy tech user i'm struggling to do any sort of diagnosis or resolution to what this problem is do i just need to go around unplugging things until i find something that works i think it's unacceptable it's like playing whack-a-mole, isn't it? Yeah, you unplug one thing and then wait for it to pop up somewhere else. I agree with you when I had the problem with the first beta of iOS, I didn't know what to do and I just left it. I think it was, it was kind of my not very techie solution, but it, you're right, there is a problem because it's really hard to pinpoint. It, and it makes me think, why am I bothering with Apple Home? It's convenience on all the devices, but I could probably get something else, some sort of plug-in thing that sits in the middle, like my HomeBridge thing, that I could have an old iPad or something plugged in and just run a web browser continuously on that, and at least it would be reliable. Yeah, I think the convenience that I like about it is my children have one app, my wife has one app, and they can do all the home-based stuff in one place. And I don't need to explain to them, I know you need to go over here for lights, you need to go over here for heating, over that front door camera's over there in that different app. It's all in the one place, which is nice, when it all works. And that is the but, dream that we were sold. But it has to work. And it was working for me. And we have bought into that as a family. And now it's broken and everybody blames me. Which is probably fair enough. I mean, it's me that encourages everybody to do these things. But at the same time, I haven't done anything, I don't think, to cause this problem. But you are the tech in the house. Actually, I think mine might have improved when I updated all the Apple TVs to TVRS 17 Puppet Beer. Which has been solid for me. I love the new version of TVRS. Because they're home hubs, aren't they? Yeah, I know that, but I just don't get it, really. Why Why is putting a beta on a thing going to fix the thing? The fact that one device in the house is now running the beta shouldn't affect it for everybody else in the house. Yeah, agreed, but I think something strange was happening. That's all I'm going to go with. Fine, I will install the public beta on one of my Apple TVs and see if that and switch everything else off until it becomes the primary home device and see what happens next. Anyway... I think that's all i got to say about that. That's my rant for the day. If I'm going to knock Microsoft, I've got to knock Apple as well. Fair, fair. Uh, one little more bit of feedback. I talked about Van Moof and my dismay of the fact my bike was, as a connected device, may become a problem. It looks like Van Moof is indeed up for sale. An uh, article from The Verge earlier this week about what was going on with Van Moof, and you can read it there. There's a few companies interested, and surprisingly, you would want your hand on those designed, designs, I think, to incorporate in your own bikes. It's fairly iconic. So I'm slightly optimistic that maybe Van Moof will continue in some way, shape, manner, or form, and I will have firmer updates and a working bike for years to come. Fingers crossed there is a knight in white shining armor, is that the right saying? Yeah, although some of the companies The Verge Report are looking into buying the bike, I don't like the sound of a couple of them. The cowboy company we were talking before, the fellow Dutch company, looked far more Far, a far better match for Van Moof than, uh, than some of these other ones. But uh, nevertheless, hopefully, something will come along and the bike will remain a useful thing for me. Yeah, I guess we just have to wait and see. We will have to wait and see. That's all I've got for follow-up. Have you got anything else? No, that's it for me. Should we get straight into news? Straight into news, then. So just a, a t- continuing our antitrust discussion, really. This was an article I spotted while I was away, actually, that I meant to talk about last week, but obviously we had quite a full show last week where there's a UK antitrust filing against Apple, apparently, over their App Store fees. So Apple has become the target of a £785 million, $1 billion, class action lawsuit on behalf of 1,500 developers in the UK over its App Store fees. That's quite interesting, isn't it? That's quite a lot. I mean, it's peanuts for Apple. I mean, as we saw in the Dutch case, you know, they were quite happy to throw away £40 million a week on, on, you know, just being able to ignore these things and hoping it went away. But... 
it's it's just yet more writing on the wall when there's independent developers willing to go back to this. And it's not just companies like Epic and things that are sort of standing up, as well as the EU itself as part of its sort of antitrust stuff. So, yeah, I think it's fascinating that you've got individual developers going up against this. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how it plays out or whether it just disappears quietly as they all seem to do. Yeah, big tech throwing their weight around again. It's a bit disappointing, but I think it's worth reporting on. And the interests of fairness to Microsoft, there's antitrust stuff going on against all these companies, as there is all the time. I mean, we're going to talk about one of the bits of media I watched later on, which was a fascinating insight into that company as well. But uh, yeah, worth reporting on. Definitely. So next story. In, the, in these days of big big screen sports and streaming sports rights and all the rest of it, and with all the noise, we haven't talked about this at all, really. Major League Soccer in America and the Lionel Messi thing. And did you get a push notification to say Lionel Messi was now playing for some team and it was available on Apple TV? I think I've turned off all Apple TV notifications because I, it's an app I go into frequently enough. I don't need to be told when to go to it. All right, interesting. So the story is about Excel as an eSport, but I want to just pursue that a minute, actually. So I haven't turned that off, and I get some notifications that a new episode of Hijack is available, a new episode of Foundation is available. And I obviously got this Apple TV Plus thing about sports and we've talked before you pretty much only care about one sport formula one i pretty much only care about one sport what you be i don't care about football in the slightest in fact seeing things about football is more likely to put me off so i thought that's an interesting tactic i guess there must be people who get it and i heard on other podcasts other people have had this update as well but i also get apple tv updates about things my children might have watched so a new episode of the kardashians is available on i don't know whatever it is and i absolutely don't want to see that so Maybe that's not a bad show, turning off Apple TV Plus notifications. Yeah, so I turn off nearly all notifications. There's very few things that I allow through. I don't know what, I don't know whether it's good or bad, but I'm trying to use my phone less and be less distracted and therefore turn off most of these things. Fair enough. Anyway, I don't think this is going to be something that troubles the big worlds of NFL, ESPN, and you know various other streaming sports. This is Excel as a competitive sport, as an eSport, where players are given a problem or sequence of problems and they need to solve them live on TV in an Excel spreadsheet. I genuinely can't think of anything more dull than this. I'm kind of with you, but I can, I'm not surprised it exists because it is a real skill slash sport. You know, watching people do things in Excel. There are, I'm, I'm no Excel whiz. I'm a very basic Excel user, but it amazes me the things you can do in Excel. So I am not surprised this is there. And I would imagine, it's, whilst quite niche, it's quite a thing in that part of the world. Anyway, there's a 50-minute link to video and you can judge for yourselves about it. And yeah, people's problem-solving skills are always impressive. I do wonder if it was this was a 50-minute Python battle or C-sharp battle or something like that, if people wouldn't have watched it. I suppose it's... It's appealing to that sporting part of people's mind where I'm all right at football, therefore I like to watch it. I used to ride a motorbike, therefore I watch it. I can run a spreadsheet, therefore I'm going to watch people who are really good at it run a spreadsheet. Is it that? Yeah, and I like that you get the picture-in-picture uh, picture of the person doing it and you can see the keyboard commands they're doing. They really got into it, to be fair. Do you reckon Apple are going to pick this up then and have it alongside MLS? I don't know. I'd, I'd rather watch this, actually, than football, to be fair. So maybe I should have said that. I think if I watch this, I might actually learn something. Maybe I could become a pro. Maybe this is how you become a pro Excel user is by actually just watching other people do it. So am I going to make this your follow-up for next week? You've got to watch the 50-minute video and tell me what you learn. I will make an attempt to watch the video. How's that? And I'll let you know how far through I get. Okay, so that was Excel. And we're a bit light on news this week. It's been a very quiet week. We don't even have a new beta to talk about. That's more likely to be tomorrow. But what we can talk about is Elon Musk and the Apple tax. So the second story about the Apple tax this week. And this is Elon has a desire to make his new X app, the app formerly known as Twitter, an everything app. And he wants to pay creators back out of it and you know do all of his subscriptions and everything. And he's come out and said he's going to go off and have a word with Tim Cook about the 30% Apple takes on, on these applications. And in most cases, I'd say, good luck with that. Many people have tried, including some we've talked about, like Epic for the development of Fortnite, things like that. But Elon seems to have quite a strange relationship with Apple, where he does manage to get them to accept one-letter app names, and he gets them to continue advertising, despite the toxic health stew the X has become. So I don't really know what to make of this. What do you think? Yeah, they do have a strange relationship. I mean, I think we just said it last week, you'd have thought Apple would want to distance themselves from this, but 
Yeah, it's interesting. He's going to speak to Tim, Tim Cook, that is the CEO of Apple, and see if they would adjust the 30% commission. So curious to know how this one is going to work out. How does that work? Does he just ring up Tim and say, I'm going to drop her in the office and you know we're going to have a chat about this? And there's a brand new Tesla in the car park for you, Tim. Yeah, you I can't afford one. Tim couldn't afford like 400 Teslas in one shot, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd be all right. It's really bizarre, isn't it? And it's interesting though. Do you think Elon's actually going to get this app to be the everything app? Well, I saw a thing by Gruber this week. We Haven't we already got everything apps? They're called your iPhone or your Android phone. That's where everything goes. Well, that's a fair shout. Maybe, maybe he's a little too late to the party. Maybe this is something you needed 10 years ago. Yeah. Now, actually, all the apps are there and people know how to dip in and out of apps. We have this argument at work often of, you know, why don't we try and do everything in one app for employees? And it's like, well, actually, I don't think people need it all in one app anymore. People know how to use apps and they know where to go for things. So I don't really understand what they're trying to achieve. And I think it's the same in this scenario. I just wonder if he's too late to the party. He's eroded all the goodwill of Twitter. And now he's obviously trying to fold Tim Cook's arm behind his back and get it a little bit cheaper. Yeah, I, 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 how much of a saving is he going to make? I mean, if he's not paying for his rent and his buildings and his server storage space and his Azure bills and all the rest of it, how, how stable Twitter is going to be in five minutes is beyond me anyway. Yeah, I find this really quite an odd thing. And the Everything apps, I think you're, you're right. Ten years ago, the lines and WeChats of this world, which work really well in Japan and China, managed to create Everything apps. And, you know, it doesn't matter what phone you've got in those countries, as long as you've got those apps. And you do. You can get on and do the things you want to, but I'm with you. You've missed the boat. Well, it, you should probably never say never. Facebook didn't become an everything app, did it? I think Twitter has missed its chance to become an everything app. And it's more, for certainly in you know countries that aren't Japan and China and possibly South Korea, I don't know enough. It's it, it, it's everything else around that that's, that's the important thing. You know. So, yeah, mm, too little, too late. I would agree with that. And I think, to be fair to Facebook, I think they've realised that people don't want to use Facebook for everything. And therefore, you know, with the creation of Meta, and they've actually started to distance themselves from Facebook because they know it's, I'm not going to say dying, but it's not as popular as it once was. And therefore, they're, they're already moving on to the next thing. Whereas Elon's turned up late, ruined all the goodwill that was there, and is now trying, trying to recreate it again. It's all very bizarre. It is. So, I mean, good luck with that, Elon. I think you're, you're definitely not hiding to nothing, but I can't see that. 100% confident because of their weird relationship with Apple and I you know as as you said I don't understand what's going on there frankly yeah it's very yeah, very very bizarre let's go with that but I'm sure Elon will keep giving us news for the rest of time it is moving on another company behaving very badly it would seem Zoom who are the people who you know really sort of put, were one of the founders of pushing forward their remote access during the pandemic I think we'd have been lost without Zoom. I know you'll jump on Teams at this point, but you got to say, at the time, Zoom were 50% easily of that market, maybe, or it certainly seemed so to me. Remote work made it all very easy. We've said, I've said before, my workplace has moved to Zoom to replace the phones and everything. So the remote working company wants its workers back in the office. And that's the first part of the story, which I just find mind-boggling. You know, Obviously, they were really struggling with this. Yeah, it seems not a great PR move, this one, if I'm honest. And I'm seeing this in more and more companies. There seems to be a drive for people to be back in the office because we can't work from home. But I, I thought we'd proven we can work from home and do a very good job. So I find this very bizarre. But this must be a nightmare for their press office of the app that lets you work anywhere and do anything. But yet we're going to make you get back in the office. And they're saying you've got to be about 50 miles from within the office radius. And that's quite a long way to drive every day. They're only looking for people to be in twice a week, which I don't think is too bad. But when will two become four? Or when will four become five? That would be my concern there. I do think the right balance is, say, two days in the office uh, as a minimum, but have the flex to work from home because it's it's fantastic and we've proven it works. Yeah, I think it's definitely better for employee contentment, really, that if they have got that flexibility, if they do need to be there for the childcare, if they do need to be there for the, the big parcel they're waiting for or hang the washing out, whatever it is, they can do that and still work effectively. And you've got that balance of coming into the office for those that want to, or at the minimum requirement, if that's what your company dictates. I agree, 50 miles is a long way. So yeah, this is a bit odd of the poster child for those that said remote working is, is where it's at. And I've obviously managed to move and iterate on their app, 
all the way through the pandemic. So it seems really counterintuitive to me that they're then suddenly going, right, you lot, get in the office. Or it's a shame we don't have an app that allows for remote working. Yeah, it was interesting reading some articles on LinkedIn this week. I think a lot, a lot of them were around the basis of if remote working's not working for you, the manager, is it not that remote working's not working? It's because you don't trust your employees. And I think that is a big problem. It's that employee trust piece. I often say to my team, I don't mind if you put your washing out at 11 o'clock in the morning. I don't mind if you go and pick your children up from school. I do it. But we don't have to work nine to five anymore. We can make it work around our jobs and our lives. Yeah, and I think if you trust your employees, you'll always get the odd person who's, to use an anachronism, swinging the lead. But somebody who takes half an hour to go and do get their kids from school, whatever, will generally fill in that half an hour someone else. Somewhere else, they'll work longer in the day, they'll take a shorter break, they'll, you know, they'll make the time up. You can trust them generally to do that. And I think, you know, not trusting your workforce with that kind of responsibility is just petulant. How does this work when you've got a workforce that's disparate in multiple locations, in different offices? You can't keep an eye on everybody. I don't understand it. Employ the right people, empower them to do the job, but have them come in the office for the right reasons to check in on them, make sure they're okay in their in their self, not because you want to make sure they're working hard in that eight hour window that you see them that day. It's not the way to go. We're obviously just excellent trusting employers, Chris. That's what it is. I try my best. The other part of this, which Zoom are trying to walk back from, and I'm going to read a lot of text out here just because I couldn't believe it, was just before this story broke, in a massive own goal for PR as well, in, in these times of chat GPT and things going wrong, Zoom changed their access license. And this blew up on Mastodon and I presume in other areas as well. So again, a lot of text, I apologize. The, the, the user writes now say, you can send to Zoom's access, use, collection, creation, modification, distribution, processing, sharing, maintenance, and storage of service-generated data for any purpose, to the extent and the manner permitted under applicable law, including for the purpose of product and service development, marketing, analytics, quality assurance, machine learning, or artificial intelligence, including for the purposes of training and tuning of algorithms models. I'm going to have to take a breath, even though there's a oh, full stop. Training, testing, improvement of services of software or Zoom's other products, services and or software or any combination thereof, and if otherwise provided in this agreement. So basically, anything you put on our platform, we can do whatever we like with. It's not good, is it? Really not good. And they've since walked it back saying this is only around learning a little bit or subtitling and things like that for Zoom IQ meeting summary or Zoom IQ team. It's not as we're using Zoom now to talk to each other. It's not to take the content of us talking to each other and apply some clever AI model to it. But if I were a, well, I work in a corporation where we occasionally discuss slightly sensitive things over platforms such as this, specifically Zoom, that's going to make me think twice. Yeah, no, it would, wouldn't it? Because if they're going to keep all this data, it's a bit like, do you advise organizations now not to use Bing's co-pilot because you're giving data to Bing in essence. And therefore you need a, do you have a policy or do you block access to it so that your employees can't do it until you have the enterprise one that keeps it within? Are Zoom going to do something similar where enterprises can you know, buy the plus license or the upgrade to keep it within the enterprise and not allow it to be used by Zoom for, I think they call it bettering their services or, or something along those lines? Yeah, it's a poor show. And, you know, they are trying to walk it back and I think they'll have work to do here because there'll be a lot of people panicking about this because to just slip this change through the user agreement with an update you know they update the software once a week you have to go and you know it's a bit rubbish actually you actually need to go and look for the software update but they're in the background tweaking the rules and agreements that's not on you need to check a user box so if if somebody actually if zoom produced something based on a conversation when they changed the user agreement and a user hadn't explicitly agreed to it i think they'd be on sticky ground legally but does anybody read those well, I just tried to, and there's there's not nary a full stop in there. It's a poorly written statement, that's for sure. Yeah, but is that is it poor by design, though, I guess is the question. Probably, as these things always have been. But if you remember back to the, the days of the early Windows end user license agreements and the iTunes end user license agreements, courts recognize that users don't read all these things and will come down on the side of the person agreeing to the agreements for not having read it all rather than the corporation that's written it in such ridiculous terms. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, poor show Zoom, sort it out and stop it and start writing nice, clear English statements, preferably less than 40 words in a, sta in a sentence. Try and keep it to that, at least. <laughs> yeah, something that you can read without needing to pause for breath. That's why you have full stops. Uh, well, yeah, readability. Commas aren't the answer to everything. No, agreed. Or semicolons. Shall we move on? 
Move on. Move on. Last story for me was, I didn't realise this, but apparently Mazda doesn't have touchscreens until now and they're finally bringing touchscreens to their cars. Is, is this a thing? I've, I haven't driven a Mazda, but I don't know if you'd seen this. I, I didn't see this. This is this is amazing to me. I thought everybody had touchscreens. So for years now, Mazda cars have lacked the touchscreen needed to really enjoy infotainment experiences, e.g. Android Auto and CarPlay. And now that's starting to change. It just seems bonkers to me. How did they, they had a, oh, they had a commander knob, which I guess is like my iDrive, which I think is great as an addition to a touchscreen because sometimes you're driving along and you just want to, you know, knock the, the track selection down or whatever it may be. But how did Mazda's not have touchscreens? I mean, it's 2023. But then I guess some people might go, well, MacBooks don't have touchscreens and it's 2023. But I just found this bizarre because it just felt like they were in every car irrelative of budget, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that does make sense. This is mind-boggling. I wonder if there's any others. Are Mazda the last, or are there other companies to come along that'll still go? You know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the answer to that question, but I'd love to drive some cars to try them. So the Dodge Charger I had in America had a very small touchscreen. I think it was like a seven-inch one, possibly less, in the middle of the dashboard. And I found that a bit of a trial actually, because I've got so, used to such a big, expansive touchscreen. The one in the Tesla is massive for example, because you control the whole car using that. So, you know, you do get used to these large interactive touchscreens. In my case, were there any knobs or buttons at all, actually? But yeah, that was a bit odd. I think it does data car, though, is when you look at how big the entertainment screen is. It's that or whether it's got a digital dash. They're kind of the two things that should tell you the age of the car without looking at the, in the UK, the number plate. Yeah, that's a fair point. Anyway, well done, Mazda, for getting with the program at last. I don't know if it will help people buy more of your vehicles. I don't see a lot of Mazdas around on the road. Few. I think some of them are quite nice, but very few in my neck of the woods. Just as an aside, these are always little SUVs, aren't they? They're always little SUVs that they bring these to. And I saw a story this week about Volvo not going to make estate cars anymore. All they're going to make are SUVs. Which is bonkers because Volvo were famed for the estate. And I've, I've been looking at some of the saloons lately. They look kind of nice. I, I just don't think the SUV is the answer to everything. Having been in America where everything is a massive, pedestrian-unfriendly, massively weighty SUV, this focus we've got on slightly higher cars blows my mind. I mean, yes, I drive around in a van. I have reasons for driving around in a van. It's a camper van. But... That why has everybody got to be in a four-wheel drive? You know, the whole Chelsea tractor thing, which is, I don't know, it's not, it's not specific to the UK, but if you've got kids, you've immediately got to buy a Range Rover, it seems. It, 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 I think it's a real problem. And another sort of, and again, I'm danger going down a rat hole here, about how in America, the weight of these vehicles is shredding tires. So you get these increasingly weighty two-ton, three-ton, four-ton trucks these days with batteries in because they're EVs as well. And tires aren't designed to take the loads of these things in a sustained way. And asphalt isn't designed to take the loads of these things in a sustained way. So what you get is the tires breaking down and then the roads breaking down. You're unable to transport these vehicles because the transporter can't take the weight of 11 or 12 or however many you'd get back in the transport. You can like two or three. So they're breaking down as well. And you've got a continually sort of vicious cycle of everything getting heavier more expensive more and all of this is even more harmful to the environment because as the tires shred they form smaller and smaller components and that's the kind of things that ends up in the food chain and you just think wow what how do we get from you know nice small agile safe little vehicles to four or five ton trucks that people are driving their kids to school in and then having very unfortunate accidents I, it just blows my mind yeah i think i'm with you on this one i'm a car fan i like a car that looks like a car but my car weighs two tons because of all the batteries in it and it can't be doing the road any good. But I'm assuming that's an infancy thing as battery technology develops and EVs develop. They should, by the nature of the beast, get lighter as life progresses. You hope so. We'll see. Anyway, that's that's Rod's rant for this, for this show, hopefully. I, I didn't have it at Microsoft. I had it at large trucks. <laughs> large trucks. Right, should we move on to media? Let's do media. Succession S3 you've put in here, I notice. I have finished three seasons of Succession. I'm about to start the fourth season of Succession. The last episode of the third season of Succession was brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm fully in the swing of it. It's a good show. I'm sorry I doubted you, Chris. I'm sorry I doubted anybody else who told me that Succession was worth watching. I'm now going around preaching the gospel of Succession. It's so good. I want to go back and rewatch it. I just love it. I love how wrong it is. The quality of how it's shot, directed, the script is all fantastic. And I'm glad you stuck with it 
because I genuinely enjoyed it a lot. And I have watched it a couple of times this year, so I may try and sneak in another rewatch at some point. I do want to rewatch the last season again because I've only seen that once. Yeah, I am enjoying it. Like I say, it was a hard start, but now I'm into it, I'm into it. So I don't know if I'll have it finished by the end of next week, by the time we do our show next week, but hopefully the week after that, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Great stuff, can't wait. Yeah, Hijack. I've watched the final of Hijack. And? Uh, It's not Succession. It was all right. It was entertainment, but there's so many plot holes in it of basically, and I never can pronounce his name, Idris Elba just gets to walk around. Whether it's an aeroplane full of gunmen or whether it's an aeroplane that's being stormed by police. He just seems to be able to walk around a lot, which just seems really bizarre to me in a massive plot hole. It was good entertainment. It looked great. Some of the graphics in the last episode were very, very dubious to say the least. But easy entertainment. They could probably shrunk that into a two-hour film and I would have probably enjoyed it more. But disappointed that there wasn't something more about it, if I'm honest. Okay, well, I haven't gone back to it yet. I watched the first two episodes and quite enjoyed it. I could see that, exactly what you're saying. Idris Elba didn't get told to sit down and shut up a lot, did he? He was, he was, he was able to trundle about pretty much as he wanted. So I'm sure I will go back and watch a little bit more of it, but that's not you know, fantastic. That that's, that's your opinion. He was a bit disappointed, but apparently he might sign to do season two. Oh, spoiler horn, by the way. Yeah. Well, he lives through season two then, but that's not a surprise. He's the star. Yeah, true. Fair enough. Moving on, you don't. I don't think you watch it, but the second season of Foundation has been out. I'm a little behind. I watched the first two episodes. Definitely the shiniest, best quality looking show on Apple TV+. I don't say that lightly. There's a lot of very shiny, good looking shows on Apple TV+. But looks amazing. Amazing cast. Amazing visuals, sound, everything that's going on there. And the bits that are filmed in reality, and I think they filmed bits in Tenerife and other piece, bits and pieces around the world, I remember from the podcast last year. Just a terrific looking show. Cool. I do want to watch it. I I can't explain why I haven't watched it. I think I just need to give it some proper attention and sit down and commit to it. Fair enough. Check it out. It's good. Lee Pace is amazing in it. I don't know who that is. You don't know who that is. So let me think of some things Lee Pace was in. He was in Halt and Catch Fire, which was also on Amazon. If you're going to Amazon, it's worth watching Amazon Prime. Also about the early days of computing, actually. A terrific TV show that I think you'd actually thoroughly enjoy. Things like the Osborne effect and all that kind of stuff are in it, and it pivots over four se- over the course of four seasons. He is in a couple of the Marvel movies as Ronan the Destroyer, as a bad guy, and he was in the Hobbit films after they remade Lord of the Rings as one of the elves. And most famously, I think, he was the pie maker in Pushing Daisies, which was a short-lived show of about two seasons where he played a guy who had the unfortunate talent of when some something died, he could touch them and bring it back to life, and if he touched them again, they'd die again. And unfortunately, his about-to-be girlfriend dies and he brings her back to life and then he can't touch her again. So it was quite whimsical. I think it was Brian Fuller who's quite good at that kind of stuff. Superb actor, though. Yeah, so I just looked at his Wikipedia page and I've not seen anything he's ever been in. So that's probably why I don't know who he is. (laughs) You haven't seen the Hobbit films? No, which is odd because I loved Lord of the Rings. And I've got the Hobbit films. I've never gone back to actually sit down and watch them. Well, there you go. Maybe start with Halt and Catch Fire. While you're on an Amazon tear, go and have a look at that. I think, it's again, it's right in your wheelhouse. Okay. Yeah, good. One that's not on the list, but I just want to make, give an honourable mention to it, is Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We've had nine episodes of that out of ten. I know I talked about it at the start of the season. The last three episodes, I want to talk about two. They did a crossover with an animated series, which I've never seen anything do before, where you go from animation to, to live. And just as well in the animated series that they draw the characters that look quite like the actors that do the voices. So they brought two of the animated actors into real life. Superb job, one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. And then they did a musical episode. And if you don't think you can do anything in the Star Trek universe, there were even some banging tunes in it. So well done, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, for just trying something different. I'm glad it's hitting all your fandom buttons. I I hate musicals and I enjoyed it. Fair enough. Should we move on to games? Let's move on to games. First, in a slightly sad story, but not surprising to anyone that follows games, Apple is no longer number two in computer gaming. It's Linux. Wow. Because of the Stream Deck? Because of the Steam Deck, mostly. But I think it's quite easy to chuck you know, a working Linux and have it work with all the bits in your computer these days. The drivers are good enough. You can get on and play it. And 
Steam have, Valve have proved the case, haven't they, that you can do this now. But yeah, largely because of the Steam Deck, you've got a Linux machine capable of playing all these games. It's not a huge market share. I think it's 1.8 or 1.9% of the market, something like that. But still, there's a lot of Macs out there. A lot of them can run Steam, and they've just been knocked into third place. That's insane, isn't it? It really is. It really is. So worth mentioning. Yeah, good device, a Steam Deck. When I think about it, other than iPad, which is primarily where I play Steam, Slay the Spire, I use my Steam Deck for most things. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, I've got an old PC that I've been using when I've wanted to have a go at, at Steam. Fair enough. And talking of things that work really well, on a Mac, on a Linux box, and on a Windows PC, there's a nice little game called Thronefall. It's a tower defense game. Things like Kingdom Hearts or one of those would have been... Not Kingdom Hearts. Oh gosh, I can't remember what it's called. My brain's just gone blank. Anyway, tower defense game, you build towers. Little guys come at you and you need to squish them either with other little guys or with towers that shoot arrows or whatever. There's a whole bunch of these kinds of games that have come along. Thronefall was £5.34, I think it was, on Steam when I bought it. Works beautifully on your Mac, on your Steam Deck, or like I say, on your Windows PC. A bit more thought is required than your average tower defense game. Balloons is an example on the iPad of what would be a good tower defense game, which was free on Apple Arcade. Well, free. Available on Apple Arcade. Quite strategic, not quite Command and Conqueror's level of strategic, but for the amount of money, for the for the fun you'll have out of it, it's worth checking out. Thronefall. Nice art style, I must must comment. It looks really fantastic. Yeah, it's charming. And it's early access, so you, it'll go up once it's out of early access at this point. I think it's worth investing in if you've got any sort of interest in this kind of game. Okay. Over to you. I just put in oh, Red Dead Redemption. I forgot the words Red Dead in our show notes. As I saw it, it's been remastered. I thought, oh, interesting. I never really played it. But it's only on the Switch and the PS4. Obviously, they're not doing it for the PS5 natively. Obviously, we'll be able to play the PS4 version. But I just thought it was interesting because, obviously, they did Grand Theft Auto, the older versions, and GTA V more recently for the PS5. I just found it strange that they didn't do Red Dead at the same time. But looking back at the trailer, it is of an age, I guess. Um, That was all I was going to say. I did play the original Red Dead. I want to say on PS3. I don't. Maybe it wasn't PS4. It was PS3. It, yeah. And it was all right. It was like Grand Theft Horse as opposed to Grand Theft also. It's that, that sort of style of things. It was okay, but it didn't enrapture me. I do notice people that have Red Dead Redemption 2 seem to play it an awful lot, though. So I look at my, my PlayStation friends' playlists, and those that have bought Red Dead Redemption 2 are still playing it to this day. Is that like GTA, though, where there's just a massive online piece? Because... I always see things advertised for GTA, but I don't really play it. Yeah, I don't think it is that. I think it's a single-player game, and people are completionists trying to finish all the quests, which Rockstar were always quite good at, making lots of little things you'd want to go back and revisit and get 100% completion on this. Yeah, I remember doing that on Vice City. There you go. You understand it perfectly. Yeah, well, we might wheelhouse. But I, I saw it was interesting. A, they can make it run on the Switch, and B, they're not doing anything for the PS5. There you go. So the what we're saying is the Switch is as powerful as a PS3. Well done for a modern console. Probably runs cooler, though. It wouldn't be hard to run cooler than a PS3. You could have cooked bacon on that thing. <laughs> it's only got form of making a warm console, haven't they? They really do. The fans on a PS3 when it spun up was really something incredible. Yeah, the 5's not much better, though, to be fair. Yeah, I don't really hear the 5 so much, i got to say. Where it is in our cupboard, I've had to take the whole back out of the cupboard so there can be enough air ventilation for it. I have it a PS4. I have PS4 Pro downstairs, and it has shut down saying I'm too hot. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But iPhones do that to me too sometimes, so, you know. Yeah, true. But they're Moving not, on. They're not plugged in the wall with big fans. That is true. They're just outside in the, in, in the outside where they're in the Aren't they made in California? Shouldn't they be able to cope with a bit of sunshine? Fair point. Uh, main show? Yes, the stick. So I don't think this will be very long, but we do like to cover the Apple quarterly earnings stuff. So links in the show notes to everything we're about to discuss. There's some insights from Asimco as well, which I agree with, which is why I've put links to his Mastodon tweets in here. The highlights are for Apple's quarter three 2023 earnings. Quarter three is typically not that great because everybody's in anticipation of the new iPhone being released. So you typically see not great iPhone growth in this quarter. So that's just going to be out there for what I said. So for the quarter, analysts anticipated a revenue of $81.69 billion and earnings per share of $1.19. In comparison to the same quarter last year, revenue was down slightly from $83 billion, while net profit was $19.4 billion. And let's keep in mind, that's for a quarter. So you're still saying 
they're making lots and lots of money, just not as much money as they thought they might make. I think they've done all right, haven't they? And if you look at the estimates, the estimates that they've done in the 9 to 5 article for each of the lines, you know, the areas, they're actually not a million miles away from. It's it's an incredible business, isn't it? You could take one of their lines, like the wearables, and I think they said it would be like a FTSE 100, a FTSE 100, a FTSE 100 company on its own because it does 8.2 billion. Yeah, it's it's a huge amount of money. So the thing, the the narrative along with this is the iPhone is flat, and you know, as you've just said there, the iPhone made thirty nine point six seven billion dollars. The estimate was thirty nine point nine, so they're very close to that, and that's just down from forty point six seven billion. So that's they've only ma- missed that by a hair, I'd say. Well, when you're talking billions, it's insane, isn't it? Your level of accuracy here. Yeah, it really is. The Mac made six point eight four billion. Six point six billion was estimated, and that was down from seven point three eight billion. So, we've talked about the effects of Macs during the pandemic. They stayed strong all the way through. I'm not surprised Macs are down. The M2 was a bit flat. I think people are waiting for the M3 or the M4. So, I'm not at all surprised that the Mac is down. Yeah, there's no compelling reason to upgrade, is there? So, unless you need it for work, for example, you may as well keep keep your M1 going because the M1s were fantastic. Yeah, I think the M1 will do for a few years to come, frankly. So it, it's not a massive growth thing. And we all know the disappointment that the Mac Pro has been. So there hasn't been lots of people rushing out to buy that computer. I think the M2s, as we've talked about in this, are, are solid. But people want more of an evolution. And you might get another bump when the M3 comes along. Yep. iPad, $5.79 billion with $6.4 billion estimated. So they missed that by quite a bit, actually. And that's down from $7.22 billion. I think this reflects the confusion in the lineup, as we've talked before. Confused lineup, software's not there. The M2 iPad was a nothing iPad, wasn't it? It just didn't have anything new. But if you're going to go and buy an iPad today, you're probably better off buying one of the cheaper ones. Because if you get the Air, for example, it's probably the best one that can do most of what the Pro does, but doesn't cost three times as much. It's a very confusing lineup, and they have kind of eroded the differences between them. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend anybody, anybody buy an iPad Pro, really. I mean, the one I've got is too big. It's overpowered for what it is. I think you are a very special edge case who makes use of all the features of an iPad. So I take I take it back. I'd recommend you bought another iPad Pro of yours, break. I wouldn't recommend almost anybody else to. But even the new one that came out, I didn't, it's probably the first iPad Pro I didn't rush out and buy. It was too yeah. expensive and did nothing new. Whereas previous years, I've had the last three iPad Pros and they've all been the same form factor. But there's just nothing in it for me. Yeah, I, I, it, it's a line that needs serious attention. They almost need to cr- knock it down and start again, frankly. The, you won't, I think you only need two models, maybe three at most models of iPad. You need a Pro and you need to have software on it that justifies it being a Pro. You need the iPad for everyone and you need the smaller model one for you know for kids that should be a little bit cheaper that, that does almost everything you want it to do. And that's all you need. Steve Jobs would absolutely take a razor to this. Agreed, but the little iPad though is too expensive. It's not for children. It's like a mini pro in a way because it's just so expensive. The one for children is a bit big and unwieldy, to be honest, because you give them a 10.2 inch screen, I think it is. So I, I think it's just a bit of a mess, the iPad lineup, but maybe we need a few more shoes to fall and it will actually all come and make sense. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I've been reflecting on this a little bit. We keep talking about ring. We're going to talk about wearables next, so I'm, I'm going to I'm going to preface this by talking about rings and not closing them and how that works and how that's such a disappointment. How long have we been saying this since the second generation Apple Watch? I think, and they've never made any effort to update the software in any way. You still close your rings. You still work in the same sort of way. So us living in hope that we're going to, you know, the shoe is going to drop and everything's going to get better, doesn't seem to be this Apple. This Apple has just introduced another model. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, they do iterate quite slowly. My mum gave me an old iPad 4 that she wants to get rid of. And I was looking at it and I was like, hasn't changed that much, has it? No. I think I've got a home button and chunky bezels. And as I recall, the chunky bezels were an advantage when it started because you had something to grasp it by. Yep. It's quite heavy though in hindsight, I must confess. Yeah, but you didn't mind it at the time. And frankly, my iPad Pro with a case on it weighs an absolute ton. So you take the case off, it's like half the weight of the device. Yeah, it was nice. But I remember when I bought it, it was something I did notice the case, but the case makes it so productive for me. 
yeah it's fine like i say you're an edge case but yeah so moving on to wearables and the category is wearable home and accessories 8.28 billion 8.4 billion estimated and that's actually slightly up on the 8.8 billion in quarter three last year so people are buying home pod airpods and home pods and watches and things like that it's got to be airpods it's got to be a massive percentage of this i know they're relatively cheap but they've got to be really driving this home pods maybe a little bit but yeah, I don't see them in that many places. And what are the other things in here that we just talked about? MagSafe and things like that. And watches, I guess. Yeah. Watches are very, very popular. Watches are popular. And the Ultra did well, I think. I think a lot of people bought the Ultra. I'd be surprised at anybody buying it in Q3, though, with, with, with rumors of another Ultra coming along at this point. If you smash your watch, you're going to replace it. I think I would. I know you're again. You're an edge case, Chris. You've taken yours off and stopped wearing it. Most people are putting them on rather than taking them off, and you have a very nice watch on now. I will agree. Yeah, I'm kind of relying on the wallet. The, the rings disappoint me, but I like having a wallet and I like having the time on my wrist. And I do, I do take your argument that you can have the time on your wrist with a normal watch. But yeah, I think wearables, good headphones. Maybe that person that bought four of them while I was in the Apple store at Apple Park the other day accounts for a decent chunk of this revenue, actually, because who would be buying, you know, AirPods Max at this point? But yeah, the AirPods Pro too are great. People keep buying them. They've got they've iterated on Beats as well at this point. I presume Beats earnings are encoded, included in Apple's. I don't actually yeah, know. Yeah, they must be because Beats aren't a separate company, so they must be somewhere in there. So they must come under wearables too. Yeah. So wearables doing well. I, I again, I'm with you. I suppose they have released that new HomePod as well. So there might have been a latent demand for big HomePods. Yeah, I still think. Yeah, I still think HomePods have got some way to go to get the good rave reviews, haven't they? Because just the software's just not there yet. Yeah, and then the last category, and that's probably of no surprise to anyone except maybe Apple. Services up twenty one point two one billion. Or services are twenty one point two one billion on an estimate of 20.8 billion and that's up from 19.6 billion in Q3 the year before so they're making bank on people buying services yeah it's really interesting that the services revenue is half their iPhone revenue you know because they always said that the iPad was going to help balance the company and it wasn't just going to be all about the iPhone that never really happened but actually it feels like services are the piece that balances out the iPhone revenue because it's it's chunky that's a lot of money it is, and some of the narrative on this is they now have more than 1 billion paid subscribers. Wow. I remember when they announced 1 billion iPhone users, but 1 billion paid subscribers. Yeah, that's that's significant, isn't it? And it's not like you or I or many of those are going to go away tomorrow. We're in this for the long term, really. Unless we change platforms, we want our Apple Music, we want our subscriptions to iCloud, you might rely on Fitness Plus, whatever it is within that. And I also am sure that that's the 30% or the 15 to 20% that they're taking from all the subscription revenues as well. So my little subscription to Flighty, that I'm now a, a, a committed user to forever, as well, certainly as long as I'm flying, will be a proportion of that. Elon's Twitter revenue will be a proportion of that too. So it's it's not a market that's just going to go away as long as there are iPhones and Macs and iPads. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. And they, obviously they're increasing it because they've got Apple TV Plus. A lot more people are talking about that now. There's obviously the Apple One bundle that you get. There's the Apple Arcade. You know, there's a million ways that they're extracting pennies out of people. And it's obviously paying off. Yeah. Other little notes. Two-thirds of Apple Watch users are new. So that maybe accounts for the wearables thing is that people are switching from Fitbit. We've talked before on this podcast about the confusion in, in the Fitbit lineup. Google don't seem to be supporting it very well. There's less of the very cheap devices. Maybe people have just decided they like the, the slightly flashier displays or the ability to trend your straps more easily or whatever it is about the Apple Watch that builds them. Or they've got an iPhone and they just want something to work that works better. Yeah, I think the, yeah, the Fitbits are so basic now, aren't they? But then part of me... I think if I was going to wear anything, I probably would go back to a Fitbit because I think I prefer the simplicity. Yeah, I think very, very professional runners are still going to pick up a Garmin or something like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. But that's niche though, isn't it? Yeah, it's not that niche. I look at the amount of people that take part in triathlons and marathons and do all that kind of stuff. And it's not a small market. Let's face it, Garmin used to be the the sat-nav people. You'd buy a Garmin stick in your car and now look at them. Yeah, fair play. They pivoted well. Yeah, they have. And then the last point is the services are up eight percent on twelve percent last year. So it's a good turnaround in services, as we've as we've touched on. I think you know it's th- this was painted as a disappointing quarter. I don't feel it's that disappointing considering what the rest of the tech industry is going through. Well, the rest of the tech industry, I don't think that you've mentioned foreign exchange rates being a 
you know, they're a nightmare for us because everything's gone up in, in in cost to us. So given everything that's happening in the world and interest rates, especially here in the UK and, and cost of living that, that people are struggling with, Apple have had a crack in you. It would be good if Apple gave you a bit more breakdown of, you know, how much they sell, say, per region or per country and break down the models a bit more. It'd be super interesting, but they are never going to do that. They're going to give you the bare minimum. Yeah, they are. They don't want to say it's the... It's the biggest iPhone Max that's still always the top seller every year, which is our, our assumption rather than the fact. But, you know, because Samsung and Google, right, that's exactly the thing we need to make all the time. So, you know, they've got to be slightly cautious, I understand. But I'd like to know, what are the biggest selling headphones? Is it the, is it the new AirPods 3, I think they are, or is it the AirPods Pro Max? So it would be quite interesting to know that. Or is it some Beats model that we're not familiar with? Yeah, and like how many units they're selling compared to the average cost and, and things like that. There's so much you'd be good to know. But I mean, they must have some amazing charts that they can look at internally just to see how it all breaks down worldwide. But yeah, they're not going to share it. No, they're not. Any thoughts on Apple's results? I'm disappointed about the iPad, but I completely understand it. The Macs I kind of get. I think a lot of people are going to hang on to them a lot longer now. Wearables, I'm not surprised Wearables is up because they're relatively small devices that can be purchased as an add-on and if you drop your airpods you're probably gonna buy another pair if you break them so not surprised by that uh, and the iphone i mean it's the fact they've done 40 billion iphone in their penultimate quarter is insane but you know people need iphones and some people don't care what model they buy yeah some people buy one every year i gotta think looking ahead the next quarter with the iphone with the change in for, to usb-c Whatever else they put in, there's rumours today of thinner bezels. We talked last week about new colours and all the rest of it. People will rush out and buy it. People always rush out and buy the new model of the iPhone. I mean, let's talk about a subscription model. That's another one they've got right there, isn't it? People want it. They'll do all right next quarter. I'm sure they'll do even better than predicted. I'm probably in the market for one this year. But I did read an interesting article from a guy on 9to5Mac who, who dropped his phone and went back to an iPhone 11 Pro for a little bit and said... Yeah, it's a little bit slower, but actually the cameras are just as good. The software works the way I want it to do. You know, the battery's fine. This is a perfectly good device. And as we've touched on before, I don't know that we need to be upgrading certainly every year, possibly every two years, and maybe not every three years. I'm with you. I would, what would I do? I would have a look just to see what what have we got. But I can't imagine I'm going to buy something. It, there's have to be something pretty remarkable. I'm not fussed about the USB-C thing because I've got a MagSafe charger I take with me. I've got MagSafe all around the house. I've got lightning cables where I need them. I still need lightning for my AirPods, for my trackpad, you know, for my Apple keyboards and things. So I, I'm not going to replace all that in one go. So uh, I think for me it'd have to be cameras or something amazing. But mm. I, I've got the always-on screen from last year. I've got a good cameras, so I don't think we're going to be buying a new phone, but you never know. No, that's fair. And USB-C plus Dynamic Island across the range, apparently. I can see why you'd be interested, because you would get an always-on screen, you would get the Dynamic Island, you would get the thinner bezels, the better cameras, the, the USB-C, you know, there's probably going to be some other bits, and there'd be a, probably a bigger battery. So I can see why you would be interested. Probably the weight, you know, there was talk of them a bit weighing less if they have titanium rails. So that's going to be good. So I think for you, it'd be a good reasonable upgrade. It just, I guess it comes down to whether whether you want to spend the thousand pounds. Well, at minimum a thousand pounds, I think we're thinking at this point. That is a fair point, minimum of thousands. There's also talk they might do a two terabyte model. Not yeah. one I would be interested in, but I, 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 some people out there will want that. I don't understand why you need two terabytes on a phone. I genuinely don't. I look at my my used storage and it's very little. I'll forget where I'm looking for it in the phone at this point, so I'm not going to go off and check right now. But that's, that's slightly beyond me. And th there's a real sort of tension, isn't there, between if they bring USB-C and the Dynamic Island to the low-end iPhones, do you really need a, a, a Pro Max or a Pro at all? Because let's face it, the box standard iPhone is a bloody great phone. I agree, but the Pro Max will just get everything quicker, won't it? It's going to have better cameras. It's going to look slightly different, look more expensive. Will it have a better screen? I don't know, because they seem to have the same screens now. Might have a bigger battery, I guess. But the you're right, there is less and less reasons to go up to. Oh, it'll probably have a faster processor. Almost certainly will have an A17 monster. And there's talk of them having some injection lipo screen, injected technology screens that will make them look a little bit better again. But 
again, going back to an iPhone 11, which, I, for example, I'll lose the pro, I would have lost the ProRes. Is that what it's called? The 90 hertz refresh rate. Promotion. Promotion. I barely noticed it. Whisper it. Obviously, my old man's eyes aren't good enough, but I barely noticed it. And now I'm with you here. I don't really notice the promotion on my phone. I do notice it on my iPad because I think it's a bit bigger screen, but most people won't notice it. So I, I think the regular iPhone is the one that most people should buy. I like having the Pro because I do play with the cameras quite a bit, but it's probably really only the cameras that maybe want that device. But look at us being consistent. When the iPhone 14 came out, we said buy the iPhone 14. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah, that's true. Anything else from Intro? No, I don't think so, but Apple just had another blistering quarter and hopefully they're not laying off too many staff because they were talking about it a little bit, but they don't yeah. need to if they've got more than it. They've got all the money. They have all the money. Uh, they just need to make them maybe sort out some of those things like the rings and some of the software and actually push the evolution along a little bit. Let's have a bit more revolution again, please, Apple, and then the numbers might come back. App of the Week isn't an App of the Week. It's, a, it's almost a thing of the week, but it involves a website, so I'm just going to go with it. It's called freefaces.gallery. It is all manner of very interesting and exciting fonts. And if you're the kind of person who is sort of trying to dress up a Word document or you've got something going around in an email or something like that, or a PowerPoint, these are really quite interesting fonts to, to use. There's some real crackers on there that I really quite like. Things like Tightrope, definitely worth a look at. They've got them separated by cursive, display in monospace, sans serif, serif or slab type fonts. They're all free and open source and there's just some great fonts on there. So please check it out. I do like a good font. I like a good font. It's nice to have a mix of them. You just need to remember to embed them in your in your documents or in your presentations you send them around. Otherwise, they don't look good for anybody else. So that's my top tip. Or PDF, if you're not asking people to edit it. Yeah, I quite like a good PDF. But I'm not, you do get some interesting rendering problems if you go from a Mac with things like, what's the design app that we use? Affinity Designer and things like that. If you if you send Affinity Designer and put them into proofs to, for Windows users to read, quite often things like transparencies don't work particularly well. I've got to say in the PDF renderers in Windows. And I quite often told, this hasn't got a border render. This hasn't got a background with it. So you need to be slightly careful with stuff like that. Yeah, I... It's been a long time since I've had to do that, but I remember those problems in the you know many years ago. Should we move on? Yeah, move on. That's it. Short and sweet. So my thing of the week is the Ilago, Alago. I don't know how you pronounce it. In the MS2 charging stand, which I'm going to hold one up to the camera for you. It's a piece of rubber, and you insert in the MagSafe piece around the top, and you poke the cable through the back. So you have to buy a MagSafe charger, and you can see it on your desk. And I got, I've got a couple of them because I thought it'd be good for the standby mode. So I can have one for my bedside table as I'm not using my watch anymore. I don't need a charger by my bed for my watch. So I thought I could just have that there. And I got one to put at my desk so I can put it under my Apple display and just put my watch on there. And check out this standby mode that people keep suggesting is the bee's knees. So I'm, I'm trying to give that a bit more of a go. I'm curious to see what third party apps are going to do with it when it gets released in September, I guess. Is it enough of an angle to enable the standby mode? Just. I think it just needs a little tilt from the back, if you know what I mean. It just needs to be a little bit further forward. So what I'm going to do is just put, as I, I'm probably going to get something sticky to stick them to the table with and just slightly just jack up the back a little bit. Yeah, I was, I'm just looking at it. It looks, it's right on the edge because I know my Belkin MagSafe pucks have got little foldy out stands so you can make them go. And if they're back just a little bit, that doesn't go into standby mode. So I, that's, that's a thing I'd be cautious of with this. But if I, you're saying it works, it works. I do think Amazon, of Amazon, Apple have have been a bit odd with it. Just put it in standby mode when it's on MagSafe. Why are you worrying about the angle that it's at? Because my previous charger was completely horizontal, so flat on the on the tabletop, and but standby wouldn't kick in. Why why are you worrying about it? Just you know, if it's on MagSafe, put it in standby mode. People can always I'll turn give it, it off. Give it a setting. So when on, when on MagSafe, enable standby mode. Yeah, it seems they've got some arbitrary angle that it's got to be at, which seems a bit bizarre to me. Yeah, it looks nice. I mean, I quite like the fact that it's rubber. That I know there's been a sort of a resurgence in interest in these sort of things because of standby mode. I'm not sure standby mode is everything everybody hopes it's going to be. It's quite limited from my interactions with it, for what it shows you and how it works. If you want a nice big clock by the side of the bed, that's great. I'm sure it's better with your phone than mine because this display is always on. Yeah, that was one of the reasons for getting it. I thought that would be great by the bed. I can't see any of my notifications. It just, I've just set it to show me the time in red. 
done. But I quite like these little rubber things. I mean, they're, they're, they're 20 pounds, which isn't too bad, but some things you're paying like 50 quid for. And I thought, that's a bit excessive. And you've got buy MagSafe on the top. Now, I already had MagSafe, so I just got, got these. But I will give them a go and report back. Brilliant. Anything else for the show, Chris? No, I think that's it. I know we've been quite brief, but there hasn't just there's just not been much going on, has there, in recent times? No, nope, so, there hasn't. That was it. That was it. So if anybody wants to get in contact, please reach out on Mastodon. Rod is at g5maniac at mastodon.scot and I am at underscore cjp at mastodon.social or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Mm-hmm.